1: Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Kazenza with the Orange Black Insider Bengals podcast, coming at you live via Cincy Jungles podcast channel. Great to have you with us. Wish we had better news to to bring you this week, but the Bengals fall to zero nine as they lose to the Ravens. Predictably lose to the Ravens this week. Zach Taylor still searching for his first win as an NFL head coach, as uh, as we all are looking for that as fans as well. So, been a rough season to say the least. Again, I'm Anthony Kazenza and I'm joined, as usual, by John Sheeran. John, uh, how you doing, buddy? You hanging in there? That
2: that is definitely one way to look at it. Another way to look at it, the Jets won, the Falcons won, the Dolphins won again. The Redskins, unfortunately, didn't play, so there's still one win. But a lot more cushion at the top of the draft order, my friend. That's always good news for me.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really the the silver lining that everybody is looking at. as we as we discuss the Bengals in 2019, and as the season continues to to progress, or uh, I don't know, regress, I guess, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, we'll talk about some interesting stuff that happened this weekend. Not only the Bengals, we'll 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 start it off with some Ravens talk. Uh, you know how the the game unfolded, some news and notes with the Bengals, and how that pertains to certain things with the team going forward. We will talk about the LSU Alabama, the the mega mega game, Um, basically a a playoff game, I guess, Uh, if you wanted to, that that wasn't really a part of the official bracket, but it sure seemed like a a playoff game. And there were two, obviously two quarterbacks that the Bengals and their fans had eyes on, as well as a myriad of other players that are probably going to be high picks in the next couple of drafts that were on display. So that's, we're going to talk about that. Um, and then we're going to talk about a draft strategy maybe that at least an idea to throw out there that not a lot of people are talking about when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals as they hold the very first the the first overall pick in the 2020 draft things could change but we will give you the updated draft order and a different strategy maybe that a lot of people aren't really thinking of as the Bengals move to 2020. John let's just kind of start it off I mean there's there's Really, the the big thing to talk about with the Bengals is how Ryan Finley looked against the Ravens. Uh, I mean, y- you lose by five touchdowns at home off a bye week. I, to me, that's just unacceptable, despite the shortcomings on the roster and everything. Um, we'll get to Finley in a second. You're just kind of overall impressions of the Bengals and their what they looked like. And their loss against the Ravens, especially to me, especially disheartening. Second time around, you, you face the team. You think you got a little bit of a better handle on him, but guess not.
2: Yeah. I mean, they played him four weeks ago and it was a lot closer because, you know, Lamar Jackson and that offense, you know, they, they were still effective in terms of total yardage and whatnot, and yards per carry, but it was just, it was, Lamar, it, was Lamar, it was the Lamar Jackson show. And there was nothing that the Bengals could possibly even hope to do to stop him. And I know they had, Andy Dalton emulating Lamar Jackson in practice for, you know, I, I, it wasn't the worst idea in the world because there's literally no one else on the Bengals roster that can possibly emulate what Lamar Jackson can do. And just like, there's no one else in the NFL that can emulate what Lamar Jackson can do in terms of a preparation standpoint, Bill Belichick talked about that uh, the week before uh, leading up to the Patriots game where the Baltimore Ravens beat them by 17. they were like, oh, how are we going to start? How are we going to stop Lamar? How do we game plan for this? There, there's just there, there when he's playing like that, there's just no way to stop him because not only is he a dominant runner, he's Mike Vick with the ball in his hands. He's developed incredibly as a passer. And that was the one thing that was going to separate them from the, from the Cleveland Browns or even the Pittsburgh Steelers from competing with them for the AFC North title. They are by and far the best team in this division. They might be one of the best. they they are one of the best teams in the NFL. They might be the best team in the NFL, or at least the hottest team in the NFL right now, but like the, they have the MVP right now in Lamar Jackson. And that defense is just finally coming together specifically with that secondary, the addition of Marcus Peters who had the, who had Ryan Finley's first technical touchdown on, on that pick six there. They saw yeah. Jimmy Smith and Earl Thomas and Brandon Carr, a great secondary that, that is def, that definitely gave Finley some troubles, but like the Ravens are just too good. And it didn't matter that the Bengals already played them or already had the scouting report on what they were going to face. They just, they just didn't add or add any personnel that was new to what they faced this week. So the, the end result was basically the same, only multiplied even further because Lamar basically decided to be an extra cheat code this week and just absolutely obliterate the Bengals on the ground and through the air. So it was great to see that performance from a football fan's perspective, but from you know the Bengals side, there was just nothing that they could have possibly hoped to stop them.
1: As I looked at that and watched that game, it really was a tale of, Um, It wasn't just about this Sunday for me. It's a tale of two organizations, how they're run, two coaching staffs, how they, uh, the experience of John Harbaugh versus the inexperience of the Bengals staff. Um, You know, the, the, the way the Ravens have put together their team assembled their team and assembled talent. You know, you mentioned Brandon Carr. I mean, he was a guy, he was a big free agent signing and they've hung on to him for years. Now he has transitioned to safety they brought in Marcus Peters. He was a guy they traded for, obviously an immediate impact there. Uh, you know, and then they've drafted some guys. And this is a team that started a little slow, a little shaky, um, that, you know, they they looked vulnerable. And a lot of people were questioning the allowance of them letting CJ Mosley leave and, and all of that. And they've been able to find guys to come in there and play good football for them. Uh, really just kind of guys that were scrap heap guys off the street guys and they're coming in and they're playing well and they rotate guys on defense. Um, You know, they, they had the number two rushing defense in the league coming into last week. They did let Joe Mixon get his first 100 yard game of the season, which was pretty much one of the only positives of the Bengals performance. But to me, it's just, it's, it shows how, differently both of those teams are run it shows how how many light years away the Bengals are in terms of looking anything like a playoff caliber team and and you mentioned john the secondary of the ravens and and it's kind of a star-studded cast a lot of first former first round picks a lot of high picks guys they traded for all that stuff i mean the Bengals still had uh, Kirkpatrick wasn't out there, but they had Denard, they had William Jackson, they have Jesse Bates, Sean Williams. I mean, those are guys that were all drafted in the first three rounds. This, this used to be a secondary that was something to be feared. And now it like, we, I feel like we talk about it every week. A lot of those guys have regressed. William Jackson still is playing at a high level, but a lot of those guys have regressed. A lot of players in general on this team have regressed. They're not getting pressure one of the only times they hit Lamar Jackson and got substantial pressure on him, he got hit and threw a touchdown. So it just shows a lot of the disparities between the teams. And that's, that's really my main takeaway aside from the Finley stuff. We'll talk about in a sec. That was kind of my main takeaway between the two teams on Sunday. Like, like you,
2: you summed it up pretty perfectly. And there's like three things that really make the Ravens, the poster child for what, we as football fans should come to expect for our own franchises. And the three things are they address the quarterback position appropriately. And then, designed it and built an offense to function properly around him. So they traded up back in the first round for Lamar Jackson. They knew Joe Flacco wasn't going to cut it. And they said, okay, Lamar is not the traditional quarterback that teams usually invest in. How are we going to maximize this talent? Well they hired Greg Roman to build an offense that he is familiar with building with quarterbacks of his town, Colin Kaepernick, Tyrod Taylor, just to name a few. And they've completely formed an offense around him and they already built a good offensive line in front of him. Two, they sub they appropriately used free agency to supplement the rest of the roster. Earl Thomas was a great signing, but it didn't exactly break the bank, break the bank. Mark Ingram was very similar at running back. He's definitely helped, helped him out there and guys like LJ Ford and uh, the, uh, the other, the other running linebacker who's escaping my, escaping my lips right now. uh, Two, two street free agents that helped them replace CJ Mosley. And then finally, The analytics department that they've accumulated in their player personnel department has made them one of the most aggressive football teams in in the NFL right now. And that aggression is paying off. They go for it on fourth down more than any other team. And that with the offense that they've designed that helps them generate efficiency on a per play basis, it's a recipe for disaster for any defense that isn't capable of stopping them. So free agency, the ability to recognize the quarterback is in need and the ability to build an offense around them and then just having a modern sense of idea of what the NFL is right now and the, the willingness to go for it and have trust in your quarterback to lead an offense on any drive or any situation in the game. This is why we as football fans should want the Ravens to succeed because they've built the blueprint of how to win right now in the NFL. And this is, and as, as a team that plays them twice a year and as their rivals, the Bengals should be looking to emulate them in any way, shape, or form. Now you can't obviously emulate what they do in offense because there is no other quarterback like Lamar Jackson but in terms of just organiza- organizational philosophy, the Bengals should be taking a lot of notes from the Ravens.
1: And they don't really appear to be doing so. So, um, I mean, it, it just, it, you know, for a while, the Bengals kind of talked about emulating, uh, especially in the form of continuity when when we were talking about Marvin Lewis, they, they really tried to emulate Pitt, the Pittsburgh Steelers in that respect because Pittsburgh really hangs on to their coaches really through thick and thin um, there's not a lot of thin with that organization, but there are some non-playoff seasons that Bill Cower endured <laughs> in, in his long tenure. Mike Tomlin endured in in his current long tenure. So um, the Bengals kind of pr- prided themselves on keeping a guy like Lewis and, and and a lot of these other you know quarterbacks and things of that nature. That was one of the things they tried to emulate one of the, the NFL powerhouses in the Steelers, but they're not. In terms of, like you said, the analytics, the personnel moves, the the evaluation process in the draft, the Bengals are not doing uh, the, anywhere near as good of a job as the Baltimore Ravens. Let's transition a little bit, John, to Ryan Finley. Um, I, I think we can all agree that none of us expected the world from the kid. Um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of us expected the second coming of Tom Brady if it did happen, wonderful. I think everybody would be ecstatic about that, but that's, that didn't appear to be the case. At the same time, my impression is the Bengals predictably did not do very much to help their rookie quarterback, but by the time he could barely think, you know, process what was going on, he was down 14, nothing. The offense had only run three plays and uh, you know, that's obviously putting him in a very precarious position against a very good defense. So it didn't do him any favors There was some things that were good that were followed up by the very traditional rookie quarterback type of mistakes. Your overall evaluation of Ryan Finley in his first career start.
2: Look, I mean, as as far as I can see, the Bengals are giving him eight games. They're giving him eight games to see what he's capable of. And if he's, capable of being some type of a long-term starter and performances like the one we saw on Sunday is just not going to cut it. And whether we like it or not, whether it is his first game out there where he doesn't have AJ green, whether the offense line is trash or the defense is atrocious, he was still one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL in week 10. And there's no, there's no way of excusing that now granted it was his first start and all those other factors go into it, but just, just look at the things that he, that he did wrong, right? Like the Bengals completely, you could notice the differences in how they structure this offense with, with a new quarterback in there. Brian Callahan talked about how they've you know mi- mixed up the, the overall blocking schemes to help out the running game. And that has produced more efficiency for Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard. the last couple of weeks. They ran a lot more gap style runs, a lot more speed options, a lot more inside zone to really help out and boost the running game. But even as the running game improved, it didn't, you, you could tell that there is no correlation between the run game success and helping out the passing game. If the defense doesn't respect the, the, the passer in general, right. and, like finley you know didn't show any capability of pushing the ball down the field there was a couple there were a couple of good examples of his overall savviness in the pocket and the, the ability to you know shift off of his first hitch and create a better throwing lane i think the the 24 yard throw down the middle of the, to tyler boy is a great example of this i think that was also on a third down where he faced pressure in his face slided a little bit to the left and you had the linebacker going a little bit more towards where he was moving he was able to thread the ball in there quickly but man like the, the interception where he stared down Mar- Marcus Pierce on like a, a simple 5 yard out rookie mistake uh the sack fumble the ball security is important and you know stacks unfortunately more times than a, a quarterback stat and he held off the ball too long and he just had, and he just let it go and that was fumble six the very next play after that fum- uh, after that fumble recovery he almost threw another interception that was mm-hmm. fortunately dropped by Brandon Carr so for all the good things that Finley did in this game the bad thing still far outweighed all of that and for every good thing you can find you could find two two or three more bad things there as well so like the expectations with finley should never been high but there's there's this perception now that you know maybe the Bengals can survive with finley through 2020 and try to build around him it it's going to take more than it's going to take a performance better than this to really you know put me on that train of belief
1: i yeah i you know, I, there were some things. There was another play that I, in terms of him avoiding pressure and making plays, one one play in particular, he he avoided a sack, read all the way back across. You know, I think yeah. he think to his left, rolled all to the way in. back, yeah, to mix in that that ended up. And then, of course, two plays later, he throws the interception. You know, I don't I don't like to pat myself on the back when, or ourselves on the back when we're right about a negative type of play with a Cincinnati Bengals player. But you and I, I, I put this out on Twitter, John, you and I talked about when we were, when we talked about Finley getting his first start, we, we said his accuracy won't necessarily be the issue. The the, right. the issue is the, 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 perceived lack of arm strength and his, because he's a guy who he's an anticipatory thrower. He's a guy who throws guys open, all that kind of stuff the stare downs. That's where you're going to get the interceptions. It's not going to be balls that sail. It's not going to be because of improper mechanics, necessarily. It's going to be because of staring down a receiver or the Bengals have run a series of the same type of plays and the defense is able to to kind of guess right on that. And that's really what happened on that pick six. The fumble, I agree, that is part on Finley. The pressure uh, that was given up, Uh, on the offensive line on that play was also to blame but you know you got to know you got to hang on to the football so I mean some good some bad all in all I think it was kind of predict 160 uh, close to 170 yards Um, I think it was a pretty predictable result for his first start one touchdown one interception the fumble I mean to me that's kind of like well that's kind of what I expected
2: Yeah, and for all the bad things that that we said about him, like the the whole point of putting Finley in there over a guy like Dalton was he tried to keep just just keep the offense moving, right? Just create some type of stable consistency for drives to, to give guys your receivers and your blockers at least a chance to really prove themselves. And throughout the early portions of the game, I think he did do that. you know, he created with his legs on a 16 yard scramble that helped them get into field goal range and get that field goal. Uh, the, the touchdown pass, the touchdown pass had great touch to Tyler Eifert. It was put in the per- perfect location. A lot of the, a lot of the things that we liked about Ryan Finley coming out of college, it, it showed in this game. And even against the great opponent, even again, even behind a, a poor offensive line that didn't do him, do him any favors. The good parts of Ryan Finley showed, but the bad parts, man, the bad parts they, they showed too. And like, you know, the, the circumstances aren't ideal. Everybody knows that. And, you know, you can say that he's been thrown into the wolves or whatever, but, if you want to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, specifically with the Bengals, you aren't going to be good for a, a couple of years. You have to perform well in subs in subpar circumstances. And we can give him all the excuses that we want for his first career start, but it just, it just has to be, has to be better than this. And right now he's just the same quarterback that he was in NC state. And that's why he was drafted in the fourth round. So until we see something that shows he can elevate those around him, this is basically the performances that we're going to get and the conclusions that we are going to continue to draw.
1: So, Ryan Finley uh, gets the loss in his first start. You know, not not an overly impressive first start, but I think he kind of did what he could with who he was had out there to work with and uh, given his skill set, like I said, pretty predictable result. The one other thing that came out of this, kind of moving on from Finley, the, the one other thing that came out of this game, John, Preston Brown was exposed in coverage down the field. I think it was a a 17-yard touchdown to Mark Andrews in the, you know, Lamar Jackson just kind of flicked the Mm -hmm. wrist and threw the touchdown pass. And Preston Brown predictably was, you know, a step or two behind in coverage. He really hasn't looked very good this year. The Bengals made the pretty pretty surprising move, especially given their history with veterans, veteran contracts, free agent contracts, and the fact that Brown just signed a pretty lucrative contract uh, this this offseason as a free agent, they, they cut them uh, and they're eating over five million dollars in dead cap space in doing so. Your, your thoughts on the, I've got another you know kind of question to ask you about this, but you' were you surprised by this move? Do you think it was the right move at the right time? Um, I mean, I'm seeing a, a couple of people ask us about it tonight already. We got a text tonight about it, so I, I guess I'm just kind of curious. To me, I was very surprised. Um, I, I thought that this was something that, though though, might have been warranted in terms of his play. I thought it was pretty surprising in terms of the timing.
2: Dude, I was I was still in bed when it broke. It was like ten. It was like ten a.m. and I like jumped out of bed when I got the notification. <laughs> like, like, what the hell is going on? Is am, am I am I being punked or we'll something?
1: What's I like to sleep till ten a.m. By the way? I, well, I, you know. I
2: when you work at home, you have some benefits. But, but anyways, like, like yeah, like the, the, the most surprising thing about this is that they're eating they're eating five million dollars in dead cap. This is not this is completely against the the Mike Brown rules of of being imaginary GM for thirty years. Like, they made the commitment to Preston Brown over the offseason. They say what you want about how long you know they evaluated this roster after they hired all the coaching staff or whatever they, they took the time to say, we want to build around Preston Brown in, in this linebacking core. And for whatever reason, after the one year deal that they gave him after the piss poor showing, he played, he showed in the eight games he played in 2018. You're thinking not only are we going to br- are we going to bring this guy back? We're going to br- give him a raise and give him some stability in terms of financial purposes and give him a three-year deal with more guaranteed money than, in, in this contract than all the money he made last year. So they made a, they made a commitment to him and they saw him just severely regress even further from what he was last year and say, you're done. And I think one of the biggest reasons behind this was the comments that Zach Taylor made in the press game post-conference was that, you know, he was looking at the linebackers specifically saying that they were not only underwhelming on the field, but there was just a lack of leadership there. And I think we all pointed to Brown being the de facto voice of leadership in that group, being the veteran, being the guy who's been around the longest, being the guy who just got paid and apparently he wasn't even doing that and I, there was reports that he was supposed to be under 240 pounds in training camp and he showed up or like 255 and basically va's perfect esque just being overweight and not committed to being better so not only did he not improve he did he didn't obviously step up as a leader and those were just things that I guess Zach Taylor W- w- wasn't going to abide in this situation, dead cappy damn. So it was the right move to make because it counted out a golf move by even giving him a three-year contract in the first place. He was not the the step to improve this linebacking court at all. And the, the showing that he, that he had in the first 10 games this season definitely proved that. So it's a good move by them, but also
1: it, it shows the lack of plan that they really had it, back in March. So the, the question that is lingering out here when this, because there, there are there have been rumblings that you know Lewis had a Marvin Lewis had a certain sense of power or a certain level of power within the organization when it came to personnel decisions, free agency, that sort of thing, the draft. Um, some folks have alluded to the fact that they're giving Zach Taylor a little bit of free reign and the fact that he he has come out and said that he meets daily, basically, with the powers that be up in the ivory tower for the Bengals. Um, I, I guess. Where the, the cynic in me says, "This is exactly I, I, Jeff Hobson's already got a piece, and, and God bless Jeff Hobson. I love that guy, but <laughs> he's already got a piece penned for next spring or this winter when the you know when the Bengals are going to hibernate during free agency, he's already got it pre-written that says you know the Preston Brown signing and they're eating a five million dollars this season is exactly why the Bengals won't go out and get the high-priced free agents." I the cynic in me thinks that that's. Totally what they're going to point to once again in 2020 when they do not do anything in free agency. The the slight portion of me that's an optimist says this is a sign that this is a move that was never going to be made under Marvin Lewis, um, especially the timing of it. Mid-season, a veteran linebacker, you're eating cap space. This is just totally uncharacteristic of the Bengals. And maybe this is showing that things are moving in a different direction. And maybe the whole Preston Brown signing was a little bit out of desperation because the scramble for assistant coaches right. late, the Zach Taylor himself coming in late, and they're like, we need guys, and we know this guy. Uh, so do you think this signals a change going forward when it comes to free agency, or do you think this is kind of more fuel to the, this is why we're not going to be active fire?
2: Yeah, like, like in my mind... Pre- signing Preston Brown to three years, sixteen point five, is not exactly a big free agency contract that um, Butch Hobson can really point to as 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 why as to why you shouldn't. Because at the end of the day, it was essentially a one year deal, and had they had cut him um, in this offseason, they would have been, I think, only two million dollars in the dead cap. So it was structured very similar to how the Bengals typically operate when they sign guys to multi year deals. So I don't think that this specifically is going to deter them from from free agency in general, and especially from guys from, from guys from their own team. But I think we saw uh, Zach Taylor's modus operandum and, and how he kind of operates in this sense uh, right before the final roster was, was finalized when he cut guys like a Josh Malone, when he made uh, Trey Hopkins the starting center, and when he cut some other guys who may have been, may have been held on in, in past Marvin Lewis teams where it's where he's basically saying, I want the best 53 guys plain and simple. And if, if you know, financial reasons be damned in that sense. So, I think this further supports the notion that Taylor is more about it from that sense than Lewis ever was. And, and Lewis was all more about continuity and keeping the best uh, more experienced um, tenured uh, veteran guys out there. And where Taylor is just, no, I just want the best 53 guys. And it's, that's very, you know, general, and plain, simple and a blanket statement, if you will. But I do think it, it further supports that. So like, I, I don't think this specifically deters them from doing th- from doing this in, in the next off season, because I do agree in a sense that, Preston Brown was kind of was kind of a rush signing because they finalized that coaching staff and because they only had a certain amount of time to really review the roster and maybe they did pressure themselves into signing a guy who wasn't worth it. So maybe the soft season is better. Maybe they don't you know, completely shy away from free agency altogether just because they had one bad contract that they had to completely nullify. in in early November. I don't think this completely nullifies their plan from that, but I do think it does solidify Zach Taylor's message of accountability, where if you're not going to step up on the field and in the locker room, you just have no place here. And and regardless if we're going to eat the dead cap. And I think that's a lot of, it shows a lot of influence that in power that Taylor has already established in the front office and tells, tells, tell someone like me that, you know, he may be he may he may not be doing well right now in terms of record, but he's he's got a lot of you know leeway in that front office, and he might be around for a little bit longer than than we than we may realize.
1: The last question that I want to get your thoughts on with Preston Brown before we move on to the thoughts a on Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa and other items that are on the docket here tonight. <sighs> Is this just the latest though? I mean, the Bengals are 0-9. I think the organization, they ha- unless they just totally have their heads in the sand, they have to be looking at the attendance of games, home games. This last this last game was pathetic in terms of the amount of Bengals fans that were there, not let alone fans in general. They have to be looking at that. Their team is 0-9. Their coach, their brand-new coach that they were so excited about, has one win to his name, and it was in the preseason. Um, I mean – is this just kind of a little bit of a another move by Taylor that almost seems to deflect blame a little bit or find more scapegoats? I mean, you look at Andy Dalton, the situation there. You know, you now got Preston Brown. You talked about Billy Price. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of these things are potentially breed positive moves, but I, it's also kind of given me the feeling a little bit of. He's kind of finding scapegoats and, you know, deflecting blame from the coaching staff that deserves, uh, you know, quite a bit of the blame going forward or, or what's transpired in the last nine games.
2: I, I think these moves show signs of potential progress, but there has to be proof of an eventual plan down the road, like benching Andy Dalton to start Ryan Finley to evaluate the roster. That's good in theory. Cutting Preston Brown to give guys like Jermaine Pratt and Jordan Evans and maybe even Leroy Reynolds a chance to prove themselves that 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 can lead to something positive down the road. But we need to know what the plan is essentially. And we're not sure what the plan is because the plan right now or the vague plan that we are being given is all coming out of the head coach's mouth because the quote unquote the factor GM, the owner, and the and the owner's you know, uh, wife and husband are, are hiding behind basically a, a a a curtain and they're basically and they're putting taylor in front of the in front of the microphone in front of all the cameras and he has to be the spokesman of whatever this plan is so these moves can lead to positive things down the road but they do have to eventually lead to positive things down the road to be in order to be justified and we don't know if that's the case because right now we just don't know what the plan and they operate in such a sense of secrecy because you know, they don't, they don't like, they don't like you and me. They don't like the, the, the media talking bad about them. They don't want us misconstruing their, their intentions and thoughts. So they just, they just keep everything very secretive. And in a way I respect that, but uh, in another way, like the benefit of the doubt is not on them right now because they have nothing to show for it for the past 30 years that, 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 you know, they've of the product that they've put out there. So yeah, like, you know, these moves are completely against what we've seen in the past 16 or 17 years under Marvin Lewis. And that could be a good thing because we always thought, you know, any coach other than Marvin Lewis could be a positive. But then we realized that maybe Marvin Lewis wasn't exactly the biggest problem here. So these moves are different and they can be positive and that's all great and all. But we need to know what the plan is. And right now we don't know what the plan is. We hope to think the plan is good. We hope to think that they have plans of rebuilding the roster of the next two years and completely gutting the roster of bad contracts and getting a new quarterback in there. But we don't know that yet, and until we do, right now we're we're just we're just hoping that these that these moves lead to something positive in the future.
1: We'll see if they do. Uh, you know, I th- like I said, I think that the, these things can be moves that you can construe as to something that's going to be moving in a positive direction, potentially even a little bit of a locker, locker room culture change. Right? I mean. Nothing's guaranteed. You're not performing. You're not going to be, you know, even if you've been a starter here eight years, two years, whatever the case may be, you know, we're not, best guy plays. And uh, yeah. that, that hasn't always been the case. But, you know, th- this team, it's hard to, to see through to that light, a potential light at the end of the t- tunnel based on the utter disaster that this year has been. So um, hopefully these are decisions that end up yielding long term positive results. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. We're talking about a lot of different things, The especially with the Bengals being 0-9. So uh, we're talking about their performance against the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to talk about a couple of rookie signal callers that were on display this past weekend, as well as the a draft strategy that the Bengals could employ in 2020 that not many people are talking about. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. We're now on iHeartRadio, so you can get it there. It's on the Megaphone platform. It's on cincyjungle.com, and you can also find it on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our channel. We've been getting a lot of of new subscribers, which is cool, so subscribe to those channels. Get the podcast how you can, and uh, we appreciate the support. The thing I love about this show is that me and Anthony...
2: We're both not satisfied with Ryan Finley, and you know what? We want to see what's out there. We want to see if there are quarterbacks in this draft that can take the Bengals to where they need to be because, as we all know, the only way this franchise can actually progress out of the dumpster fire that they've been living in for the past 30 years is a quarterback that can elevate the rest of the talent. I don't know if one game is enough to tell you that Ryan Finley isn't, but let's just assume that he isn't. So there's a, there's a little game going on on Saturday. It happened happen in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, between two Taggart. Tua Tungo-Vailoa, I need to practice saying that name because I might be saying a lot in the next six months, and Joe Burrow. So, Anthony, the two, the Tua two Burrow Bowl happened in Alabama. What were your initial thoughts on what did you like from both, both of the guys and have has either really, at this point in the season, really
1: separated from one another? The thing I liked the most about it, uh, about both, both guys' performance, was their ability... To rally their team, uh, either when a team, you know, for for Tua, his ability to rally his team back from a pretty big—I mean, they, I think they were down like twenty points or something at some point. Mm-hmm. His ability to rally them back, and his ability to potentially get them to to close to tie, and and keep moving the game forward, potentially into overtime, even though his top receiver dropped two touchdown passes right in his breadbasket. that were beautiful passes by Tua. Yeah. Even though Tua made some mistakes early in the game that cost the team, even though other players on Alabama made some critical mistakes, he was still able to rally the team back. Joe Burrow, calm, cool, collected, avoided a lot of pressure and made some great throws. He also was a guy that that showed me a lot of moxie in terms of, you know, Alabama is rallying back on their home field. LSU hasn't beaten Alabama recently, especially in Tuscaloosa. So, and he went in there, he, he didn't turn the ball over. Uh, He, he played almost, I mean, basically a near perfect first half. Um, There were a couple of throws. If you really want to nitpick that he was inaccurate on that, he probably could have been a little more inaccurate, but, Um, I, I was very impressed with both guys. I was uh, on the onset. Like I said, I saw some mistakes from Tua that really kind of soured me on him a little bit, but when it came time for him to throw those deep balls, I was pretty impressed. I think the route trees, maybe that the Alabama receivers run are a little less complex than what Burrow and his crew do. But, um, when it came time for the deep balls, those, those big rainbows down down the sideline, down the field. Tua put those absolutely on the money in stride, and I was very impressed with that. Both guys looked pretty good. I, uh, I had seen quite a bit of both coming into this week. This was probably the most I actually sat and really watched mm-hmm. them on a play-by-play basis. Uh, and both, you know, I, I was impressed with both. I have I think I've made it known that I've, I've been a Justin Herbert guy, and uh, I liked both of these guys too, but um, these guys really, you know, took it, took it to a new level for me in terms of watching them on a play-by-play basis in that type of game, in that atmosphere that meant, you know, that game meant so much.
2: Right. And it's kind of weird to say for a guy who's now started for, for two and a half years, but I learned more about Tua than I did about Burrow. And and again, it's weird because Burrow has really only started one year in his career, but like for the first eight games or however many games LSU has played, Burrow has been the same cool, calm, collective consistent stable quarterback and everything that was good about burrow showed up in this game and that's mainly the reason why lc won because he played a nearly flawless game now he had some issues dealing with pressure he took some sacks they didn't have to take uh he had an interception callback from a penalty because alabama had 12 men on the field that was a bad decision from him but everything from from burrow's game was was fantastic and it was basically you know confirming our priors about what we thought he was but I learned more about Tua in this game because he was dealing with that ankle injury. You know, he was dealing with he, he, he is now playing with a bad defense and they were playing an offense that could exploit a lot of their issues on that side of the ball. So he was playing catch up for most of this game. But like, you know, he, he dealt with he definitely dealt with more drops and more inconsistent play from his receivers in this game compared to Bo or compared to Burrow. Excuse me. And he and you could tell, you know, towards the second half that the ankle was definitely giving him troubles. But man, like like you said, man, like the big time throws, the all-around placement and accuracy, the quick release, they, they all showed up and just just him dealing with with pressure in his face and really overcoming some of those obstacles late in the game to make some of those big time throws. That was something that we haven't really seen from him specifically this year. But also, mind you, like this guy like is still pretty new to playing in the fourth quarter because Alabama is so used to blowing teams out early yeah. that he doesn't have to play late in these games. So this was also an extra workload for him and an ability to show that you know he can you know, at least try to bring teams back, you know, when your defense is faltering. So that was fun to see from two as well. I, I think, you know, obviously Burrow's stat line looks a little bit better, but this is the first time I ever, like charted a, a, a college game for, from both quarterbacks. And I wanted to look at, you know, their throws beyond the line of scrimmage, not counting throwaways, not counting spikes. And for the most part, both of their, both both of their productions were pretty similar taking out some of those plays. But, you know, it, it, it was interesting to see how much, of LSU's offense was predicated on t- going towards the short uh, right side of the field and how much Alabama is more spread out. Even though, even though you only see them throw, throw a lot of, you know, slam flat uh, combination routes and whatnot and, and trying to attack the deep left side of the field, but also going under pressure, like Tua was very inconsistent under pressure and we played a lot more conservative compared to Burrow. He, you know, made the wise decisions to throw it away or he just basically gave up on plays and tried to do his best to avoid sacks and whatnot. Burrow, you know, I I think he held onto the ball a little bit too long for some of those times. He ended up rushing a lot more than Tua and making plays with his legs, which is something else that we haven't seen. But the one thing from Burrow that I wanted to see more was how he, he could create under duress. And a lot of times he ended up just running the ball and, you know, trying to gain as much much yards as possible, but neither really made any crucial mistakes. And in, in a stage that was this big with such big playoff implications, it was great to see both of them really battle it out and really play up to their ability. And, you know, I, I asked you, you know, if either one of them has separated from separated from one another from the pack. And I still think it's extremely close, and it might come down to what your preference is for what specific traits you want from a quarterback. And and I think, you know, both of them have positive traits in spades, but it really just comes down to what type of quarterback you want to build your offense around.
1: Right. And what what do you want to do on offense? That's that's kind of the the, the key here. The thing. This is something that jumped out at me, John, about. When, when I went back and kind of looked at these guys and what they did the year prior or years prior, obviously the sample size for burrow pre 2018 was based, was minimal. was basically yeah. nothing. Um, so, but here's, here's what's crazy to me with burrow. You look at it, 13 games in 2018, 28, almost 2,900 yards, a 7.9 yards per attempt. Average. 16 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. This year, in 9 games, 4 less games played, and 80 less attempts, he's got a 21% jump in completion percentage. 21%. He has close to 3,200 yards, so he's got basically 200 more yards passing in 4 less games. He's got 33 touchdowns and 4 interceptions. Tua, a bit more consistent, uh, especially from 2018 to 2019. You know, 69% completion percentage last year. He's at 70, almost 71% this year. He had close to 4,000 yards last year. He's basically kind of sort of on pace for that. He's He missed a couple of, uh, a game or two though. So that that kind of hurt his stats a little bit, but still has, he had 43 touchdowns last year, six interceptions, 31 touchdowns this year, three interceptions. I still, I, you know, and, and as I looked at Burrow's stats in particular in this big jump, a lot of people say, you know, if you look at his last four games, you, you kind of start to see him heating up and then obviously into this season, whereas Tua has been a bit more consistent. I guess my question is, and we're receiving this question too in, in on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page and the YouTube channel, what are kind of the ceilings for this guy? So is is Burrow – is this kind of his ceiling now or is he still growing as a quarterback? And does Tua's consistency show that, you know, that's he's just kind of going to be at that pretty high to, to very high level or is he going to be limited in the NFL as to what he can do based on the surrounding talent with at Alabama that he has to work with?
2: This is definitely an an important question and a question that needs to be asked. I think when when you're talking about ceiling and overall potential, specifically with quarterbacks, you do have to, in a sense, look at not only their best season, but their overall body of work. And I think Tua's consistency over a a two and a half year span speaks to the ability of consistently playing at a high level. And for quarterbacks who do have end up with solid career production in college, it's a testament to them actually reaching whatever potential that they have. Now, Tua's going to have you know, metrically analytically looking at the data for quarterbacks, going back to even the 1960s in terms of completion percentage, touch and interception ratio and strength of schedule, he's going to have a ceiling of that of a pro bowl quarterback. But the fact that he's been doing this for now for over two years in the sec in Alabama, even with all that surrounding talent, yada, 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 he's going to have the ability to actually, you know, looking at the history of the position to actually reach that potential with burrow, like you said, you know, those, those four games at the end of 2018, it really showed that he was starting to, you know, kind of find his form. And then his first year and in the second year, really starting, he's now putting it all together. I think Pro Football Focus said um, in, in their latest mock draft, Mike Renner's latest mock draft, when he mocked Burrow to the Bengals, that, you know, PFF had graded Burrow, uh, had graded four games of Burrow's 2018 season with an 89 or above. So he was playing at an elite level throughout some games of 2018, but it was just in- incredibly inconsistent because that, that offense had, hadn't brought in Joe Brady at that point. They hadn't maximized the, you know, the surrounding talent around Burrow, but he was starting to put it together. And then, you know they saw they they saw it all coming together and then in 2019 it basically exploded into what we're seeing now so i think Bur- burrow is also a little bit older i think than tua even though he's he's had less overall starting collegiate experience so it is fair to say that burrow hasn't officially reached his consistent maximum potential but you are seeing that he's still on the uprise and tua is basically playing at a consistently high level which in my opinion makes him the more safer prospect to to consistently produce but in terms of what Burrow is doing, it's hard to ignore that potential is essentially the same level. It's just a little bit more questionable if he can sustain it because we've seen less of him.
1: So, my takeaway, I still, I mean, it, unfortunately, Herbert didn't play last weekend, so kind of you kind of <laughs> couldn't talk about all three of them playing and and maybe compare and contrast on the same day. But um, especially when it comes to these two. I think the consensus top is that those those three guys are the top three guys in the class. I think everybody can agree on that. But yeah. when it comes to these two in particular, to me, I think Burrow does. Uh, I, he does. He doesn't have wow arm strength. He's got pretty good arm strength. Um, I think the the anticipation, the footwork, and kind of the intangibles are are there. I think two of throws probably a better deep ball. And he also has similar into intangibles. I think Burrow kind of does everything at a pretty well or higher level. Um, who, do, who do you, did? I mean, did one kind of raise themselves over the other? I mean, I, I guess I was a bit more impressed with Burrow, but it's still pretty close for me really with all three guys.
2: It's still pretty close. And it's still extremely early. Like, like th- how they performed down the, the final stretch and into the playoffs is going to be really the tipping point about, you know, which guy has the upper leg over the other. And again, it, it's all about preference, what you want. I think I think the NFL in general is going to like Burrow a little bit more because they're, they're seeing what he's doing in that offense. That offense is more translatable into what, you know, an NFL coach and an offense coordinator is going to have him do. But with Tua, I think teams are also going to like that his overall body of work is more consistent, it's more sound, it's more concrete, and they can kind of get a better grasp of it. And also, like you know, the NFL teams shouldn't be afraid of, of the height issues anymore. Shouldn't be afraid of the general stereotypes that have you know plagued quarterback evaluation for for decades now. Because guys like Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson are really breaking barriers for for what a guy like Tua, for what a guy who looks like Tua can be. So I don't think that's necessarily going to be an issue. But again, it comes down to what you want them to do. And I think both of them have different have different play style strengths, but but both of them have the same kind of objective tangible strengths and whatnot in terms of overall quickness of release placement accuracy levels the ability to manu- maneuver and manage a pocket the, the, the ability to make adjustments and checks to the line of scrimmage and put guys in the right in the right spots in the right alignments and make make checks to the run game both those guys do this extremely well and it's going to make this this race for qb1 even that much more exciting for how they play for the rest of the season i think wow. like again like i'm more at this point i'm more confident that uh, Tua is going to reach whatever ceiling he has in the NFL and again it's still November it's still early in the process but the way that Burrow consistently keeps playing it's just hard for me to not put him above Tua right now because he's just playing a little bit better and you know maybe that's a testament to his natural talent over a guy like Tua and what maybe different strength that he has but it's just, it's just hard to really place one over the other because both of their strengths and weaknesses really counter out each other very well and it's going to be interesting to see how they finish
1: right and You know, I mean, obviously there's always risks associated with with any of these guys, but uh, I think they all bring something very, you know, very good to the table. Everybody's going to have their own, you know, spin on it, their own opinion on all of these guys. Um, You know, I I remember – I think this game kind of really spotlighted what these two guys can do and do well, and and they do a lot well. I remember a few weeks ago – Um, Greg Cosell, who's a very respected, you know, NFL film guy, quarterback film guy. He said that Justin Herbert is a guy that a lot of teams would like because he's kind of, he can do a lot of things in a lot of different schemes and, and fits a lot what teams like to do in the NFL. So it's really kind of what the teams like and what, you know, what, what they want to do going forward. I think these guys all bring something very valuable to the table. There are risks associated with that, especially when using a high pick, but, uh, Chances are one of those three are probably going to end up being the Bengals' first pick come next year. And obviously, like you said, John, it's early because pre-draft workouts, I don't know if likely not, but these guys could opt to throw at the combine and, and outside of their pro day, and that changes things. And then obviously, you know, if someone runs well or whatever, you, you know how the, how the pre-draft hype goes. So uh, things can change, but really entertaining game. In terms of LSU, Alabama, even if you were did not have any connections to the schools or anything like that, and you just kind of wanted to see these two quarterbacks play, uh, it, was, it was it was a fun game to watch, for sure. Absolutely. This is the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Gazenza, He's John Sheeran. And you are joining us. Uh, thank you for joining us live, if you are doing so, on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page and our Orange and or Black Insider YouTube page. We like to simulcast or simulstream, however you want to call it. We like to simultaneously broadcast our show on both of those platforms. So thanks for tuning in. We will be doing a listener questions segment Friday. We didn't get to one this last week. So we're going to try and do it this Friday afternoon. Seeing a lot of questions, obviously about Colin Kaepernick and all kinds of stuff. So we're going to try and get to that those on Friday. In uh, our listener questions, there are still there is still time for you to submit your questions to us. So do that via email, via Twitter, hit us up on the OBI line, um, or you can call in that day for uh, you know to, to have your question answered on air. So we'll do that as its own show as we've kind of done over the past few months. So join us for that on Friday afternoon. If you're unable to, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it now on iHeartRadio. You can get it on Megaphone at CincyJungle.com and, as I mentioned, on YouTube. We're going to close things up here, John. I kind of had a thought. Both, uh, you know, you look at how the Bengals performed on Sunday and you saw all kinds of issues, all kinds of roster holes. And, yes, that's injuries. Yes, you know, it's poor drafting. It's all kinds of things. But this team needs a lot of help, a lot of help at a lot of different spots you look at you know the the game we just talked about the LSU Alabama game and you see the quarterbacks there as we currently sit here John the Bengals hold the number 1 overall pick and the how it goes right now will kind of I'll kind of do just kind of maybe the top half of the first round because really I don't know you know For our sake, for the discussion we're going to have, this is kind of where we're going to go with it. Bengals hold the first pick. Redskins at number two. Giants at number three. Jets at number four. The Dolphins at number five. Falcons at number six. Broncos at number seven. Buccaneers at eight. Browns at nine. Cardinals at 10. Lions at 11. Chargers at 12. Jaguars at 13. Raiders at 14. And that's from the Bears. Titans at 15, Colts at 16, okay? Let's just say that order kind of holds up in, in some fashion, pretty close to that. There, you could One can make the argument that the Dolphins at five, potentially the Falcons at six, the Broncos maybe at seven, the Buccaneers at eight, maybe the Lions at 11, maybe the Chargers at 12, maybe the Jags at 13, and titans and colts at 15 and 16 all may be coveting a quarterback the one of the things that you know basically there's been two fields of thought for the cincinnati Bengals as they hold the number one pick going into next year in terms of fan chatter a lot of people think that Use that number one pick, get the best quarterback that's on the board, start over from scratch, get the most the guy at the most important position, and then build your team around that from there. Others say go Chase Young. He's the best player overall in the draft. He's an impact player. You've seen what the Bosa brothers have done. You've seen what the Watt brothers have been able to do and the impact that they have on their respective teams. You take the best player and you move on. One scenario that not a lot of people are talking about, John, is a trade-out scenario for the Cincinnati Bengals where they trade back a few spots. Yeah, they may not get a Joe Burrow, maybe not even Tua, but a Justin Herbert could be there, or if Justin Herbert goes higher, maybe Tua's there. Chances are, depending on how far back they trade, they could trade to a spot where they're still able to get one of those top three, collect picks from a team maybe like Miami, that has that arsenal of high picks, still get a good quarterback, get the offensive lineman they need, get the linebackers they need, and really kind of address a lot of different stuff with high-end players in high rounds. Not a lot of people are talking about this. Is it just because it's a dumb idea?
2: Uh, so I I'd never saw the movie Draft Day, but there's a scene that, or at least a still picture from that movie that I've seen before. It kind of looks like this. Oh, okay. So I didn't have to do that one. It says QB <laughs> no matter what. And that's, that's basically what, that, that's basically what needs to happen. If you like, I, I understand like the gripe, I understand the gripes and the logic behind this argument, the Bengals flat out stink and they have holes all over the roster. And the biggest hole on the roster is quarterback. And I, I understand that people want a quick turnaround for this team. And that's probably not going to happen. Even with the last place schedule, and even with a, a brand new quarterback in 2020, they're probably not going to be competitive. They're just not good enough, and they just haven't shown to be competitive enough in free to, see, to really turn around the team. So accumulating a lot of draft picks this year would help kickstart the rebuild quicker. But the rebuild doesn't start unless you have a quarterback. Now, you know, in, in in theory, potentially, you know, if you feel that all three quarterbacks, the three, the top three quarterbacks, are of the same capabilities in the same level then yeah like having one over the other or whatever it wouldn't make that much of a difference but that's just not really how NFL teams work or how they really think like it's not about the overall quality of the class because you're only really drafting one of these guys and like you, you can say that we have you know high grades on all three of these guys but at the end of the day if they have a gun to their head they're gonna like one guy over the other and if you have the chance to draft that one guy you're just not going to pass that up. And, you know, like you alluded to earlier in the show, like this, this stadium is having trouble selling out over 45,000 people. If they go into 2020, you know, not only with Ryan Finley as their quarterback, but not the top quarterback or not their their overall preference, that quarterback, it's going to be hard to really sell this team, this coaching staff that only has one or two wins on the resume to, to come to the stadium because they, they just need to make, some, they they need to kickstart this this rebuild as effectively as possible and that doesn't happen until they have the quarterback so if you have the chance to take your franchise quarterback i wouldn't do any you know strange or you know tricky or or mind-bending moves here and trading trading down into the first round and maybe getting one of the top three guys if you have the chance to take the best quarterback and you don't have a quarterback you absolutely have to do that
1: so in our live youtube chat brian I i believe it's kramer uh could be creamer, but Brian Kramer says too many Achilles Smith goes to draft Herbert. Uh um, scouting again?
0: I know. We talked about this. I know.
1: I know. I know. So I said, I, we responded and said Achilles and Herbert aren't anything alike aside from the school Smith uh, guys. Achilles Smith was 20 years ago. Okay. But there is a scenario with Achilles Smith that could be relatable to what we're talking about now in that draft. That 99 draft. The Cincinnati Bengals were offered a busload of picks from Mike Ditka and the Saints so they can move up and get Ricky Williams. The Bengals would move back a couple of spots. Likely still get a guy like Akili Smith, maybe even Donovan McNabb, who was in that draft, by the way. Maybe, you know, and then get, use those other picks on wide receivers, on linebackers, players they needed. Okay, This could be a scenario with the way that Miami in particular has stockpiled numerous picks. This could be a way that the Bengals are able to basically play the reverse of what happened there and and change the trajectory of their franchise. I understand the risk of, you know, to me, I'm not seeing a huge, huge drop-off from each guy. Some, some people may in terms of Burrow Tua, Herbert, whatever order you have, those guys, I'm not seeing a huge drop off between those three guys. Now, if you go from one of those three to maybe an Eason or a from or somebody like that, I see a big drop off and that's a risk. You you know, you take if, if all of a sudden you get leapfrogged and those three guys go, but to me, you can get one of those top three quarterbacks. If you move back a few spots, you're able to get a good quarterback and Continue to build around him, whether it's offensive linemen, linebackers, and not repeat a same mistake that you made 20 years ago that set your franchise back a long time.
2: Like, I I think this is what people were talking about with the Browns a couple years ago when they're like, you know, you know, we we like Baker Mayfield, we like Sam Darnold. We're at the first overall pick. Maybe we trade down a couple spots and see which one of them falls. Like at the, I can't, I, I just can't. I can't subscribe to an NFL team actually thinking that, you know, we haven't decided what quarterback we're going to that we like and we're going to just settle for the one that's available to them. Like this is just a concept that I just don't think just the general Bengals fan realizes. If you don't have a quarterback, regardless of how awful, tremendously bad your team, your defense, everything about your team is. You need a quarterback if you don't have one. And if you're in the Bengals position where you're able to get the best quarterback in this draft, your actual pick for the best quarterback in this draft, and you don't have one again, you just need to do whatever it takes to get that. And I, 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 I again, I understand that, you know, their evaluation on Keely Smith was flawed or, or whatever, and they didn't, they didn't have good luck and they could have given a barrage of picks for that. And, and, and fine, you can call that a mistake if you want, but that, uh, I just no. Like, well, I, like I'm
1: not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that th- that the Bengals don't have. They they very well could be sold on one of those three guys and saying that's that's the guy. But if they're in their evaluations and where they're at with those guys, if they're all pretty similar and they view them in a similar vein, or that all of that, or maybe two of the three really fit the system and what they want to run, and one of them doesn't and they know that a team wants to move up for the guy that doesn't fit their system. I mean that I'm not advocating them not having a plan saying, Oh, whoever falls. to," I mean, it would, it would be predicated on the fact that we have these guys similarly ranked and we like this guy and we think we could still get him at number five overall while getting other picks that, that help out this team to really make them an immediate, you know, get that, turnaround immediately kick-started that's I, I it's just a scenario that not a lot of people are talking about i think there's validity to it but based on your size and your eye rolls my friend i'm like <laughs> no, there, there is all right all right there is validity to the to the strategy in general i just don't think it applies
2: as well when you're talking about a position so important as quarterback yeah. I, I think at the end of the day when when you're in late april you have you know, set in stone evaluations and you have clear definitive rankings and tiers at that position. When you don't have a quarterback, you need to do everything in your power to get a quarterback and you need to set aside all other needs to get that quarterback. And and, and at the end of the day, you can have, you know, very close, very close grades in one another, but you're going to have a clear one, two, three, and you're going to want your one over your two and your three. And I just think at the end of the day, that's going to overrule any other savvy trade moves that they that they could make at the at the the top of the first round.
1: Yeah. And by all indications, the Bengals will have that number one overall pick. They will probably hang on to it. This is not a team that does a lot of wheeling and dealing on draft day anyway, draft weekend anyway. So, If they have that number one overall pick, they will probably use it. They will probably stick with it. They will probably use it, and it will probably be on a quarterback for a number of different reasons. It's the most important position. This team likes to draft a quarterback with those top five type of picks that they've had before, and they need to sell tickets. Yeah, Uh, plain and simple. And the guy that's going to quarterback's going to do that. that. Chase Young
2: is not. You need to understand. You people need to understand that they cannot sell this team if they draft Chase Young and ignore a quarterback. This is not going to happen, and they're not going to do that.
1: Right, and I, I that's why I think the trade back a few spots scenario, grab a quarterback and grab other players, that is a more likely scenario than the Bengals staying put at number one and grabbing Chase Young. I think they're getting a quarterback no matter what, and I think it's either going to be at number one overall or they're going to trade back, get picks, and and work the draft that way. I think what's more likely is the and, – and, and maybe even – the, the most wise move is to stay there, take the number one guy and, and move on from there. But, you know, Miami has stockpiled picks for a reason. That team is not very good and they have a lot of roster holes as well. They also have tried to get as close to the number one overall pick as possible while stockpiling first round picks. And hell, the Raiders that the Bengals play this week, they they traded away all their stars. they got first round picks. all of a sudden they're five and four and they're one of their first round picks, Josh Jacobs is having a rookie of the year type of year. So teams do that. Obviously the Raiders didn't use it on quarterback, but I, that's kind of my point. The Bengals did not do anything at the trade deadline to stockpile high picks. This is their opportunity to do that while still potentially being able to get one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. I think it's a scenario that, not a lot of people are talking about that, uh, maybe a viable strategy, but maybe it's not the wisest. I don't know. But, uh, I, I do think there is at least some wisdom there. Uh, if you get more picks, especially high picks, this team needs a lot of help. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, good discussion, John. I think I know where you stand <laughs> as of this point when it comes to what the Bengals should do with the number one overall pick. And, you know, what? I don't you I know agree
2: what?
1: It. if they do do that and they do happen to get a
2: quarterback, a good quarterback fall into the laps, you know, what? all all the more power to them, but only a quarterback is going to help them restart right. this rebuild immediately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, there are pros and cons to each, there are risks associated with, with each Hell, They can move back and all of a sudden, like I said, they get leapfrogged and those top three quarterbacks are gone depending on how far back they move. So, um, just an interesting thought and uh, as we start to as we have to start focusing on the draft as evidenced by what this program consisted of tonight john we're gonna wrap up buddy what uh what else what what other things do you want to address what final thoughts do you have for us before we bounce out
2: oh man i think i already popped a blood vessel so i'm just gonna take a breather for a little second if you have anything to say
1: okay well i uh, definitely didn't want to make Create that type of <laughs> issue for you. It, it's, <laughs> it's you not, you're it's, too young to have I'm, blood pressure I'm, issues. I'm friend. telling you,
2: it's it's too it's too early for this, man. We have like five months to go of arguing about Chase Young and, and quarterbacks, and I'm just I'm just not I'm not sure if I can do it right now. I, I need I need a, I need a break, and I'm gonna be ready. I'm, I'm gonna be ready by February. I'll be I'll be ready.
1: Yeah. So I, I I'm gonna save this. I for those who follow me on Twitter, um, I kind of was. Thinking out loud, and that's really kind of what Twitter is, believe it or not. But uh, I was thinking out loud kind of via Twitter, and there might be a chance that I'm, I'm thinking about going to Vegas for the draft. Oh, um, I usually go to Vegas at least once a year, maybe twice a year, and it's usually in the spring and/or and summer. I have never been to the NFL draft. Um, I'm not promising our listeners anything really, but if we do that, um, I think that would be a lot of fun. I think we could probably do something with the show from there, um, potentially get some good interviews and exposure and all of that. So if we do that, I would love for you to come. I would love for any of our listeners. If they end up coming, meeting up with us, that would be awesome. Um, just something I've been thinking about. It's not too far in terms of proximity for me, but, uh, I don't know. Vegas in the draft just is really appealing. You know, Uh,
2: I mean, man, if you get me on Vegas, the draft might be the last thing on my
1: mind. So I know, I know, (laughs) I know, you know, and then you're like, Oh, do we have to work? Uh, (laughs) uh, But it would be, um, it would be fun to go. And uh, I think, you know, I think we'd, I've have you ever been to the draft? I've never been to the draft.
2: I have not. I, I don't necessarily see the appeal of going to it unless it is in a location like Vegas where you're basically just the draft is just like a side thing that just happens to be there. But yeah, that I mean, hell, it, might as well try it just to see how it works in a place like Vegas.
1: Yeah. And you know, I think it especially, I mean, if the Bengals held one of their patented mid teens, early 20s picks. I'd be like, yeah, maybe I wouldn't be as inclined oh, to go. But it, yeah, if they're, if they're picking first, and like you know, you're,
2: you're just there for the beginning, and then like you just go to the casino afterwards, you don't care whatever happens. Like that, that, that is the move right there. That is. Well, I, I
1: would obviously care what happened, but yes, I, I understand what you're saying. But the 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 uh, first round, the first overall pick is kind of. Uh, making me enamored with the idea of going out there. So if, if we do that, nothing, nothing set in stone, nothing definitive at all. If we do that, we will definitely let you guys know. And hopefully we can meet up with some of you and you can tell us how great, wonderful, or unintelligent we are, whatever you think of us, we'll take it, but uh, probably the latter for me. Well, definitely for me. I mean, I, if I'm, if I'm making you burst blood vessels, my friend, um, that's, that must mean I'm, I'm talking idiocy over here. Anyway, folks, uh, appreciate you tuning in, whether it was through Facebook Live on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page or our Orange and Black Insider YouTube page. Thanks for tuning in live. You can get this show on a number of different audio podcast platforms across the board, so get it how you can. Check out cincyjungle.com for all the news, notes, opinions, analysis, and everything going forward. We will be doing listener questions on Friday live, Friday afternoon, usually probably about 3.30 Eastern or so. We'll... We'll we'll dial that in, but that's usually around when we've been doing that. So we'll probably keep it around that time, and then we also have the post game reaction show as the Bengals take on the Raiders. We didn't really talk about that, but um, when you're on nine, let's talk about the draft. I mean, that's kind of my my take. Uh, yeah. So, but we will be talking about the 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 game itself. Uh, so join us on Facebook or the Orange and Black Insider YouTube. Uh, channel live for that one get it uh, get the reactions after the fact as well there is a slate of cincy jungle podcast shows including this one so download them all we appreciate the support subscribe to the channels enjoy your weekend we'll see you friday and we'll see you sunday have a good one john you too man